you know, one of the things that I've looked at in my career is, is to continue to commit to lifelong learning. And isn't that why we're here today, to learn? And my, my goal today is to create some value for you that you can take back and use in your office to share with your patients beginning on next week. Um, so committing to that lifelong learning is so important. And I wanted to share how I got to the, the point that I'm at today. Some of my influential mentors were the Pankey and the Dawson and you know, Harold Chevelle and Gerard Quiche and a lot of those people that really teach you, you know, pay attention to detail. And, you know, that's really helped me formulate, you know, my dental background along with my 35 years of providing dental health care for patients. Um, I'm from Michigan, as you heard, and one of the popular destination sites in Michigan is Mackinac Island. So if you ever get an opportunity to visit, I'd highly recommend that uh, you take an opportunity to visit. It's an isolated island, eight miles around, no automobile traffic, so everything is horses or foot traffic or bicycles, but it's a very unique area. Let's get started today with Dr. Susie. Um, this is a typical case that we're going to see. Mike, could you turn those down just a little bit more for me, please? Thank you. Um, Dr. Susie came to see me not because she wanted to align her teeth, but because she kept chipping this central and um, it had been restored a couple times with composite and the dentist, two dentists were having a difficult time and they said, well, go see Dr. Rob because, you know, he's pretty good at composite and see if he can get that to stay on. And I said, well, Dr. Susie, if we're, if we're going to evaluate this, there's a reason that that keeps chipping. It's not because the composite isn't good, but maybe it's because the teeth don't fit together properly. And if we analyze this case, we're also going to see that she's got premature wear on that cuspid. Now, in Michigan, we have a difficult time getting enamel to grow back, so once they lose it, it's kind of gone for good. So when I analyze something like this at a 28-year-old, what's going to happen in 10 years or 15 more years? Is that going to continue to wear or is it going to grow back? So I think it's incumbent upon us as dental health care professionals to share the conditions that the patient presents with and let them know what's going on. I mean, right now that's not a big deal. You could add a little composite or do a little cosmetic contour on that central, and she probably wouldn't know much of the difference. But if we were going to analyze a little bit further during our examination, let's look at the occlusal wear on those second molars. We can see that the majority of the enamel is pretty much gone on those, and if the teeth were going to stay like they are for the rest of her life, this might be pretty easy. But we know that those are going to continue to wear, and then maybe in 10, and 15, 20 years, then it wears through, she breaks a tooth, and then it's a crown or endo or whatever it may be. But what's facilitating that? Could it be that she doesn't have a proper biologic envelope of function and anterior guidance that would give proper disclusion to those posterior teeth. And we can see her centrals are a little bit lingualverted. And because of that, then those lower anterior teeth are positioned. So if we're going to get into the ClinCheck process, first let's understand what our goals are. So when we do our evaluation, then that's going to make your ClinCheck process much more predictable. So for Dr. Susie, let's take a look and see what we prescribed here. So what we wanted to do was develop the nice catenary arch form and symmetry. That's in your handout, and you'll hear that several times here today. Catenary arch form and symmetry. But we know that the upper arch was not near as crowded if we're evaluating bolt and tooth sizes. So we knew that we might have to either IPR or make the lower teeth a little smaller or perhaps make the upper teeth a little larger by creating a residual space distal to 7 and 10. And then if we look at what we were able to clinically achieve, we can see that this closely resembles the ClinCheck that they prescribed. So we've got that nice catenary arch form and symmetry. This is extremely predictable to do with Invisalign today, extremely.
And then let's take a look at the lower arch. The lower arch, we knew that this was going to require a little bit more aligning because those teeth aren't more crowded than the upper arch. So let's take a look at the ClinCheck, what we prescribed. Please create proper catenary arch form and symmetry. So developing this nice arch form and symmetry, and we had a little bit of a round trip. Did you see how those came out and back in? You'll see that several times today. That's the key to be able to achieve these type of ClinCheck's without doing IPR. So then you can see the nice catenary arch form and symmetry that we were able to achieve. This is very easy and predictable to do in the ClinCheck. The challenge we have as dentists is how now do we make the upper and lower arches fit together properly. So if we take a look at the arch forms that we take and show the patients before and after, this is where we started, this is where we finished. We print this with our expensive $99 Hewlett Packard printer on a one sheet of paper and we provide these to the patients not only as uh, progress monitor photos but also when they finish. This is your best selling point if we're going to show functional occlusion besides for logistics and legal issues. But now let's take a look and see how did we make these fit because Dr. Susie said you know my teeth look fine and I said your upper teeth show when you smile but your lower teeth show when you talk and so those crowded lower teeth as you get older if they would stay where they are now would be just fine but we usually know that they're going to get more crowded so if you can correct those while you're younger it's not only going to be much easier but it's much more predictable as well too so in this prescription if we're looking at two sizes and we're going to try to finish with golden proportion aesthetics we can see that her upper lateral incisor number seven is a little bit smaller in relationship or proportion to her centrals. So rather than finish with centrals that are going to look a little prominent, we want to finish with centrals that are a little bit more compatible with the lateral. So we'll finish that lateral incisor using the gingival margins as a reference and then add a little composite on the incisal edge to give that proper length. You can use your treatment options of whether it be a veneer or a crown or direct composite. My choice today is direct composite and I will show you why. So let's take a look at the golden proportion aesthetics here. We're looking at the gingival margins, we're looking at the gingival embrasures, we're looking at incisal edges and incisal embrasures. And everybody, because of the nature of today's course, we're not going to delve into golden proportion aesthetics, but that's a very important component that you want to study thoroughly to be able to help your patients. So if we take a look at making the teeth look good, that's easy. That's what I tell patients. Making them fit and function for lifetime fit, function, and stability, that's a challenge. But when we take a look at what a difference that made for Dr. Susie, this is subtle and it didn't have much to do with her aesthetics, but what that's going to continue to do as they shared this morning is to, what Lisa shared was what the women are looking for is teeth that are going to be, we're going to be able to align those teeth to keep that oral musculature nice and full. They don't want to sink that back in and lose their lips. So one of the other great features that we have in the state of Michigan is the Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes that was voted one of the most beautiful places in America. And this happens to be a, a location that's dear to me. The water really does look like that in that this sand hill, it does, it's not real um, visual here, but that's like 500 feet down to the water. And if you ever visit this area, be sure you're aware of those little signs at the top that says if you choose to go down there and you can't get back up as most people can, there's a $500 fee to rescue you. So don't go walk down this hill to the lake even though it looks very enticing but th this is the state of Michigan and Sleeping Bear Dunes is located right here on this little point and Lake Michigan here has several sites that has natural um, freshwater lake dunes which is very unique to the world this is Lake Huron this is Saginaw Bay Detroit's right down in this area I live in this area right in this area which is Flint Michigan 
And in this area, um, Mario Battaglia has, right near Sleeping Bear Dunes, has a summer home. I don't know if you've eaten at any of his restaurants here in town. But uh, he chooses to uh, have a summer home up in this area. And our um, CEO of Align, Tom Prescott, has a summer family summer home in this area in Grand Traverse Bay area as well, too. This is Mackinac Island, which is this little spot right here. And the Mackinac Bridge, which is a five-mile span, goes from here to here. And this is Lake Superior up in this area. But one of the things that I feel is very important as dental health care professionals, that we have to take care of ourselves physically and mentally. And one of um, my endeavors that I like to do to help stay in shape physically is to participate in triathlons, which I've done since 1984. But this is a unique triathlon that they offer up at the Sleep and Bear Dunes. Instead of the regular swim, bike, and run, this is a couple-mile dune run in that nice soft sand, and then it's a 20-mile bike, and then it, instead of a swim, it's a two-and-a-half-mile kayak. And this was my, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our 37th, 30, Eighth wedding anniversary, excuse me. Boy, close. I just checking to see if she's paying attention. Okay. And um, uh, this is my grandson who lives in, in Waco, Texas. He was up with us, and my daughter who's expecting our granddaughter um, this fall. But my grandson was trying to look and say, why, why was Grandpa so happy? Well, I finished the race in one piece again, so I was pretty happy. And here was the day before practicing in the kayak. But, you know, it's important to stay in shape. But now let's look, before we get into the ClinCheck process, I feel it's very important that we, that we thoroughly understand the biomechanics of tooth movement. Okay, these are just sound fundamental principles. I don't care what technique or technology you're using, but the way that teeth move is by activating the osteocytes, the osteoblasts and the osteoclasts, which become active because of pressure and tension. So you're going to dissolve bone on one side of the tooth and you're going to build bone on the other. That's how teeth move. And today we're all bombarded by six-month this and three-month this and accelerated this. When my patients say, how are we going to do it? I said, let's look at biologically healthy movements. So it's not how fast we do it, it's how good we do it. And there's many factors that we have to look at, but one of the benefits that Invisalign has above wire bracket ortho is we can better control the precise continuous gentle pressures that activate optimal osteoblast and osteoclastic activity. And then we also have to look at the laws of physics, okay? If you've got a molar pushing against the bicuspid, who's going to win? Well, the strongest tooth is going to win. So you've got to, if you're going to facilitate those movements, you've got to make sure that you're providing proper anchorage and proper physics so that you can facilitate a tooth movement. The technicians, even though we've got great software programs, the technicians are computer technicians. Even if they were dentists, they may not be aware of that. So you as the treating dentist have to be aware that, yeah, that ClinCheck movie looks good, but biologically that, those movements may not occur. You can't just take a cuspid and rotate it. It's not going to happen. You can't just take a molar and move it this far. Those movements aren't going to occur. But I'm going to show you cases today that I've done that many times were shared or, or I was told that, wow, you're really stretching the biomechanical limitations. So what I would hope that you would gather from today's presentation to say, wow, if Rob can do it, I can do it. I know that that's possible to do. So when we look at the, each aligner in the purpose of two weeks, many times I've heard, you know, can you speed up the aligners and, you know, go at seven days, can you go here? If you're looking at biologically healthy movements, you've got to facilitate those osteocytes, but you also have to allow the, that bone to heal. So you don't want to go too fast. So my philosophy is stay at that 14-day schedule. There's a lot of research that's going into that. And try not to accelerate the movements, but when you're looking at patient risk assessment, 
the age, the race, the gender, you know, the osseous biotype, the maxilla versus the mandible, there's the cancellous bone, cortical bone. Those of you that place implants know that putting an implant in, boy, it feels a lot different in different areas of the mouth and from patient to patient. Well, that same bone density is going to affect that tooth movement. We can't always do bone density or bone sounding, but you can kind of look at the patient and say, you know, what does their wrist look like? Look at their fingers. Look at their skeletal structure. And we know that certain races of people have more dense bone, so you may have to plan once you get your, through your ClinCheck. At that point in time, you might want to say, slow the complex movements. And the complex movements are not all the movements. They're just certain movements that we can evaluate in the staging and sequencing. But as we all know, the periodontal ligament average is about 0.5 millimeter. Well, that's how they design each aligner to move a tooth 0.25, because then you're not going to obliterate the periodontal ligament. But sometimes if people say, well, we're going to go faster, or we're going to do more movement, or we're going to do here, what happens is you start to get necrosis in that periodontal ligament, and that's when you start to run into complications or problems. So when in doubt, slow the complex movements a little bit. So instead of moving it at 0.25, move it at half that, 0.125. It's not a big deal. You got a 50 or 60 year old female with slightly osteoporosis, you know, consider slowing that down a little bit. You got complex movements, slow them down a little bit. A few more aligners is not that big of a deal. Then you also have to look at tooth anatomy. If they've got a short clinical crown height, you know, what type of physical leverage are you going to be able to promote on that tooth and what type of movement do you do? So many times what you're going to find is you've got to evaluate that tooth anatomy and evaluate should this be restored prior to taking records for Invisalign. If they've got a tooth, a lower incisor that's worn two, three millimeters off, if you can, you might want to consider adding comp direct composite to that and then aligning it. And if you can't get it all on there, you may have to evaluate for a possible refinement, but in between that refinement, what I call phase two, you might want to add more restorative material, take new records, and then you've got the proper anchorage and leverage to restore that tooth. And then you've got to look at, you know, as we talked about the osteobiotype, but you've also got to look at gingival biotype as well, too. Some people have that tissue paper thin gingival that you can see right through. Well, you've got to be a little bit more careful with that person versus the other one that's got that thick, bulbous, you know, keratinized tissue with that big three to five millimeter band. If they don't have that keratinized tissue, around the free gingival margin of a tooth, which you would evaluate at your initial exam, I would be very cautious of that tooth. And now that doesn't mean we're going to put a uh, keratinized tissue graph on that tooth before we start, but I may monitor that a little closer and reinforce with the patient the importance of that 30-minute rule. Never leave your liner out for more than 30 minutes. Change them on a 14-day cycle. And when you change every at that 14-day cycle, you want to keep that first aligner in for 10 to 12 hours so that you can optimize those, that osteocyte activity. Also, during... During your Invisalign therapy, I usually recommend that those people have more proactive preventive health care. So they're going to see the hygienist maybe an additional time or two above and beyond what they would. It's not so that you can clean the stain off the teeth, but it's so that you can make sure that they have optimal periodontal health. Because if you've got periodontal infection anywhere around the circumference of that tooth, as, that, as those teeth move, that does widen the periodontal ligament space, and that infection could get into that periodontal ligament space and cause complications. So that's how we tell the patient we want to do a, a thorough periodontal evaluation, typically on a three-month basis when they're in their aligner therapy. And then you've got to look at patient risk assessments, age, medication, their health, nutrition. There's all those factors. Well, that's your responsibility as the treating dentist to make sure that you're aware of those and discuss them with the patient. Now, when we're going to treat and when we're going to prescribe, are we going to expand or are we going to constrict arches? Okay. 
So let's just look at the majority of the cases that we're going to see in our office. We're not going to talk about the class three cases and the major skeletal asymmetries, but I would tell you that 80 to 85 percent of the cases that we as GPs see in our office day in and day out are slight class two. You've got a constricted maxilla and crowded lower anterior teeth, right? So that's, let's, let's focus on those. Those are our bread and butter cases that we can predictably treat and we're going to make money on. The other cases are going to take a lot more time and effort. If you choose to undertake those, those are fun, but you've got to consider the fees on that as well too. So most cases, we already talked about that. When you're looking at bolt and tooth size measurements, will these teeth fit in the arch? Well, with conventional ortho, you had to either take teeth out or do something to make those teeth fit in the arch. But the biomechanics that we have with Invisalign today, we can expand and broaden that arch to promote osteogenesis, and I'll show you several examples of that here this afternoon. So are you going to IPR, extract teeth, and constrict the arch, or are we going to expand it? My philosophy is to expand it because I can get better clinical predictability. It's a lot more comfortable, and most people prefer to not have to have their teeth ground down because even though it doesn't feel like much with our handpiece, it feels like a jackhammer when you have that stuff done. So as we talked about osteogenesis of the anatomy and the physiology, looking at crown loop, loop crown, excuse me, my dentures loose, um, to uh, crown root length ratios, those are all factors that we have to look at, and if you've got a short clinical crown, you maybe have to put more attachments on that tooth to get to facilitate anchorage and precision. So, and then how are we going to coordinate our restorative care? That's the real value that we have as general restorative dentists. A lot of orthodontists come to my courses and they go, that's not fair. You guys get to restore the teeth beforehand, you get better tooth you know, ideal of tooth anatomy, then you can align the teeth and if you've got a small lateral or you can't get that cuspid right in, you can fix that with composite or fix that lateral instead of bringing it right in so you can finish your case. And I will tell you that most of the cases I finished require some type of an equilibration and or restore because there was a reason that Mother Nature didn't give them teeth and dentition and, and alveolus that allowed them to have straight teeth. So we as dentists have to evaluate that. So that's what we look at. And then we all have different treatment philosophies. And isn't that nice that we're all not the same? There's many great speakers with Invisalign. And, we, and the nice thing is we all do it a little different. So you get to hear the different speakers and then choose the way that works best for you that you feel most confident with treating your patients. So let's take a look at Aaron. Erin's 42 years old, and same thing with Erin. She didn't come to me because she wanted straight teeth, because when she smiled, those upper teeth looked pretty good. But what happened, here's another case, she kept chipping her lower anterior teeth. They put the composite on the composite chips. So they said, okay, can you put the composite? I said, well, let's take a look. If your own teeth chipped or wore, whatever we put on there is going to chip or wear. So when we said, Erin, let's do a, a little bit more of an evaluation. So many dentists may look at this and say, well, should I just smooth those down? Well, then you're going to have exposed dentin, and like I said before, we can't get that. Once enamel is gone, it's gone for good. So let's try to preserve that and restore that with direct composite. But if we look at our evaluation here, you can see that the tooth wear is because of a restricted biologic envelope of function. And we see that because those upper centrals are tipped back, and then that causes those lower teeth to tip back. And then as she chews, remember we don't chew straight up and down, we all chew little circles and some people more than others, and you can get real technical and look at the angle of the condylar eminence and the disclusion and the cusp angles. Well, that's good in an ideal world, but I don't have too many patients in an ideal world. 
Okay, you've got mismatched arches, mismatched teeth, skeletal imbalances. So that's our role as dentists to decide how much of a compromise are we willing to do to finish this case. So when I'm looking at this case, I'm going to look at, the other thing is one of her symptoms was that she had temporomandibular dysfunction and a lot of my patients have headaches and premature tooth wear. I have so many cases that came to see me because they, they were referred from the pain clinics with migraine headaches, I mean debilitating migraine headaches. And I have a whole lecture series on that to show because of the restricted biologic envelope of function, once we align those teeth, once they get into the aligners after the second or third aligner, they're like, wow. I don't care about my teeth, I have no more headaches. I mean, this is life altering for people. So there's a lot of things that we take for granted as dentists because we're looking at the teeth, but wow, to be able to look at someone that can smile with confidence and chew with comfort, but more importantly, they're more comfortable now and their self-esteem goes up. I mean, it's amazing. I can get into a whole series about a lot of my young teenage girls that had teeth that were really jacked out of shape and all of a sudden, you know, they were an ugly duckling and now all of a sudden their teeth start looking pretty. Well, we had a certain percentage of those girls that were coming in with maybe um, teen pregnancies and so I had to, you know, develop a, a program with our staff to start to have a little counseling with those girls as they start to look a little prettier to say, you know, you got to take care of yourself here. But if we look at this case, we're looking at that constricted arch form and tooth size. Okay, she's got pretty good shaped teeth, but what I look as, a, as an indicator, I'm looking at the inner arch distance of those upper second molars. That's a really good indicator to decide on clinical predictability. So you'll see certain patterns with that. You can still treat them if that's not wide, but if those are the widest teeth in the upper arch, we're going to use those teeth as a benchmark, as anchorage and reference to develop that catenary arch form and symmetry. So let's take a look at Aaron. What we prescribed, please develop proper catenary arch form and symmetry, level the occlusal plane, and finish with proper anterior coupling. Now we can see she's got some premature wear on those incisal edges, but notice that nice catenary arch form and symmetry. And if we take a look at what we're actually able to clinically achieve, you can see that that closer resembles a ClinCheck. So these are easy, predictable movements, and you're going to see a certain consistency as we go through the cases here this morning. And now on the lower arch, we can see here that she's got 17 and 32 are still there. Are those teeth going to function and continue? No. So you as the retreating dentist have to make a decision. Is it best to remove those before I take records, during Invisalign, or following? Well, I like to get as much anchorage as I can on the distal of the second molars with the aligner because I could take them out later, but the aligner wouldn't cover the distal of that. Now, you don't want to necessarily make that a game breaker by telling someone in their 30s or 40s that you've got to have your wisdom teeth out before we can align them, especially if they didn't come in wanting their teeth aligned to begin with. So you have to make your, your, your judgment on that. But when we look at what we're able to achieve here, for Aaron, to, now notice how we round trip this. Notice how that comes out a little bit and then comes back a little bit. Now, when we're looking at inner arch elastics to move those, that entire posterior segment forward or backwards, I'm a little hesitant to do that because from my background in physics and biomechanics, when you put the elastics in there, the weakest link is going to get most affected. And I found that the weakest link isn't the maxilla or the mandible, it's the temporomandibular joint. So I try to avoid that, but how are you going to treat this to get anterior coupling, I treat that by leaving a residual space just to the lower cuspids, which you can either choose to restore or not restore following the aligners. So as we look at Aaron, we had a nice arch development. We did remove her wisdom teeth and we got a nice arch form and symmetry, 
This is very easy and predictable to do with Invisalign, but now how do you make those fit? So we can see clinically we showed her, wow, look at the nice arch form and symmetry, and now how do we make those teeth fit together for proper biologic envelope of function, anterior disclusion, cuspid contacts, and posterior disclusion and anterior movements. But let me show you this case. We can see the class two relationship, and if we're looking at the lateral view, we want to evaluate how do we facilitate these movements. Now the choreograph, the choreography, and the staging and sequencing of the movement, this is what's important. Now I will tell you, you do have to work with your technician to do this, but it's important if you learn this. They do have systematic approaches with the ClinCheck software, but if you understand it, it should look smooth. It shouldn't be real segmental or jerky, but what we wanted to achieve was, was to get proper inclination, and ideally we would like a, a slight axial labial procline of the upper anterior teeth, so they're going to appear better, they're going to reflect the light properly, give the proper lip support. The challenge is if we're going to do that, how do we get the lower teeth to fit? with those and so what as you recall what we did with the lower teeth we left the space we proclined a little bit more and left that space distal to the lower and you can see the the results that we were able to achieve here now is this going to need some future treatment possibly but let's just go conservative initially to get these restored and if we look at the anterior obviously she's got a restricted overjet and overbite here so if we're going to position these properly I typically use more attachments in it than is the standard protocol. The standard protocol that you're going to get in a ClinCheck is designed to give you the fewest number of attachments and the fewest number of aligners because unfortunately that's what internationally that's what the majority of the dentists are asking for. 90% of the ClinCheck's that come to the Costa Rica facility are accepted without a modification. Whatever they send in, whatever they get back, they take it. In my, all my years of doing this, in not only my cases, but helping several other dentists, I probably average four to five ClinCheck modifications. And that's no fault of the technicians that I communicate with almost daily. It's like, okay, first we want to align the arches. That's easy. Now I have to evaluate how do I make them fit. And that's where I have to say, well, let's try this. Let's go here. Let's go here. Let's go here. So expect that. But if you want to get some ClinCheck success, don't wait two weeks or a week in between your modification when they get it back to you. A lot of times I'll go in the office, I'll look at my ClinCheck, I get in the office early, I'll make my ClinCheck modifications, I'll check it again at noon or during the day, and then they'll make a modification usually between morning by the afternoon and by the end of the day I maybe stay a little bit afterwards and I can get three modifications to a ClinCheck in the same day. Now, we can't always do that, but I would highly recommend, as soon as you get it back, make sure you're checking your email so that you can facilitate and get that right back to your technician because the technician, they have a stack of cases they have to do every day. So understand their world, and it makes it a little easier for us to understand how to communicate. They have a stack of cases that they have to go through every day. And if you, were, if you had that stack of cases, would you maybe pick some of the easier ones first and then get to the tough ones? And if things are a little bit neater and more organized, they've got good photographs, they've got good documentation, it's pretty easy to follow. Or is this one that, my God, you know, rotate this three degrees, move this you know, hinge in. And go, I mean, they start giving all these technical things and that's really complicated. So most of the technicians, let's understand basic orthodontics, basic fundamental principles, develop and align the arch form. So that's what we use with our arch wires, right? Right? So you want to develop that, level the occlusal plane, that's easy. Now we have to, on the ClinCheck, the feature that we have here is then how can we modify that to make those arches fit together properly. So you can see this is what the ClinCheck prescribed and you can see clinically that's pretty close to what we prescribed. So if we're looking midlines aligned, we've got good cuspid contact, pretty good anterior coupling. 
compared to where she started. So if our goal is anterior coupling and biologic envelope of function, that's going to help facilitate lifetime fit function stability and aesthetics, and that way then it allows us to use more conservative restorative treatments such as anterior direct composites with today's advanced technology that we can provide those patients with a lifetime care with that. And it sure beats having to cut those teeth down and do veneers or crowns and trying to make a match. So if we take a look at Aaron, when we, when we look at the, the fit and function, those are the photos that, the, that we as dentists like to see, but the patient likes, likes to see these incisal edges. So our preference here was to use the gingival margins as a reference, and we knew that this lateral incisor was a little different size than this one. So rather than have that mismatch, and we can see that the centrals kind of angle up a little bit, and you can see here where these teeth were when I started. I added direct composite on a few of these teeth, and you can see that's what we had added because this is when we finished our Invisalign. But this is what I prescribed. I said, please use gingival margins as a reference because I knew that I could come back and simply add a little bit more composite to that and or cosmetically contour to now get better golden proportion aesthetics. We added a little bit to the incisal edge here. We added to these. We did a little contour in here. We added a little bit to this cuspid. So now we've got biologic and, and golden proportion aesthetics. And you can see what a difference that made for this. So when you talk about transforming lives and improving smiles, but more importantly, this is going to be much easier to maintain for a lifetime now because those teeth are not crowded and raveled. And besides the fact that she got the benefit, no more headaches with this. So one of the things I think is important in dentistry and especially with Invisalign, and when you get into your more advanced dentistry, you have to properly plan and prepare. You have to. Okay, this is not take the impression, send it in, you send it back, give them the aligners, see them back in 12 to 18 months, and voila, you got a perfect smile. It doesn't happen that way. And one of my passions, as I said, was to participate in triathlons to help, you know, challenge me and keep me in shape. But one of the things I found is you can't just show up for one of these and say, hey, I'm here. You have to properly plan and prepare, and you got to train, and you got to eat, and you got to work out, and you got to register, and you got to do that. This happens to be the Chicago triathlon that I like to compete in every year, and this is swimming in Lake Michigan, and one of the things that happens there is you can't always predict that water temperature. It could be anywhere from 74 degrees to 54 degrees, depending on which way the wind blows that night. So you have to kind of be prepared for it. And when you do this swim, um, they set you off with a couple hundred people at a time, and what I found years ago, it's not a good idea to get in the middle of that group when you're swimming. It's a lot better when you get on the side and get a little rhythm going because when you get stuck in the middle of there, it's like being in a blender. And this is my oldest son, Bruce, uh, who participates in these with me as well, too. But after um, this race in 212, um, my wife said to me, she takes a lot of photos during the race and that. She goes, well, how was that swim? And I said, you know, the water was cold. It was rough. I said, man, it, it was just a son-of-a-gun swim. She said, well, take a look at this guy. He was a, a military veteran who lost his right arm, his whole right arm, and half of his left arm, and did that mile swim in Lake Michigan on his back. I said, you know, I think that swim wasn't quite that bad. But, you know, what I looked at as far as training, and we see many um, challenged athletes competing these, but if you want to reach that goal, first you've got to see that goal. You've got to know where you're going and before you actually arrive at it, whether that be in our physical endeavors or in our Invisalign endeavor. So what I'm going to share with you, make sure you have that goal, but you know, when you think you've got a tough day or you've got something, boy, all of a sudden put something like this into, into, into reality, and it, it definitely changes your perspective on life. So yeah, my hand was off to that guy. 
The most important tip I can share with you, the most important tip I can share with you, is please start your cases in centric relation because this is where they're going to finish. Because when you put those aligners in there, you alter the proprioceptors, you alter the occlusal surfaces, and that mandible is going to relax back and finish in centric relation position. Many of the dentists that will refer cases to me and say, we went through this and it didn't finish properly. And I, when I look at it, I go, well, you didn't start in centric relation. They go, well, how do you know? And I look at their initial photos and I look at the wear facets, and it's, usually it's pretty easy to see. But let me share with you how you can ensure that you get your case started in centric relation. If you just send your bite registration in, that's a good start, but sometimes it's not always duplicated as, as sometimes we see in our cases that we send to our dental technicians for crown and bridge or whatever it may be. Sometimes they either lose the bite registration or they don't use it properly. But the only way that we can verify centric relation position is by our photographs because we don't have those models unless you're taking models with a verified bite. So I take photographs and the centric relation that I like to use is I use the, uh, the Dawson bimanual manipulation with a light gentle pressure, make sure that's reproducible and the temporomandibular joints are healthy. But this is the light pressure that we use to do that so that I can verify it. But what I want you to see is this is MIC and this is CR. So if I just said bite together, here's a bite registration, sent that in for the ClinCheck and told the technician to align the teeth up, could you see that there may be a difference if we sent this one in? Absolutely. So this is critical. I'll show you a few more examples. So when you see this, this CR position, then you as the dentist have to make a decision. Do I equilibrate to reduce that interference? If it's on a restored tooth, obviously that would be a good idea. If it's on virgin tooth, I might reconsider that and say I would probably not want to do that. Another technique that you can use is to mark those CR contacts, document them in your record, but document them with articulating paper, and then when you take your occlusal views, you've got a documented area, okay, it's on the, on the mesial buccal cusp of number three, and we're contacting on 14 and 15 on the central fossa, or wherever that might be. Anything that's going to help you and your technician not only verify the articulation, but verify the, the um, ClinCheck movements. So here's another example. This is an MIC bite together. This is in centric relation. And many times I'll see midline shifts of up to two to three millimeters. Well, if you didn't start in CR and, you, and design the ClinCheck to that position, you're not going to get a good result. But let's take a look at, at this view. This is, let's look at the overjet. This is biting together, and then this is in centric relation. So you think the ClinCheck might be a little different to align these teeth for proper anterior coupling as it would be here? Of course it would. Now, one of the features that I do on our, our, our ClinCheck composite photo, instead of showing if I have a case that there's a CR discrepancy, and I would tell you about 50% of my cases have a pretty significant CR discrepancy, about 50%. The ones that don't, not a big deal. But if it does, you, you want to take a lateral view in centric relate anterior, anterior up at 45 degrees. You want to take your lateral view at what I call a 45 degree angle but also take a lateral view at a 90 degree angle with you holding, and I'll show you in, in centric relation. So here's another view. Notice the midlines right here. This is off a little bit. In CR, it's right on. So here, I wouldn't change midlines. Here, it would require in the ClinCheck, if I wanted to line the midlines, I would have to tell the technician, do this to achieve midlines align. But when, when we know here, it, we really don't have to alter the midlines, but we have to alter this tooth that we've got our crossbite over here with. So this is how we do it. 
These are my hands right here. I'm holding the patient in CR. The patient holds the retractors and the assistant is holding the camera. And we use the camera that's about the size of an iPhone. Um, those are the, 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 photo, the cameras that you want to use today. They're easy to use. You can repeat, take it. You don't have to wait for the flashes to recycle. And they're going to, all these pictures were taken with these little cameras. So you don't need to have the great big camera. But if we're looking where I take this view and then this view, and if it's significant, you might even want to use something as a measurement like a periodontal probe to be able to put it across here so you can get a reference from that. But this centric relation position is critical. And then you want to make sure that you keep these photos in our, on our Invisalign composite. Instead of showing the face, the lateral head profile, in the face at repose over here, a lot of times I'll interject this photo up so that the technician can see it, and then I'll show one where I take an anterior view of a lateral so that more correctly shows the overjet and the cuspid and bicuspid interdigitation so that you can use that as a reference to verify the articulation. And then when we're looking at doing new things, when's the last time you did something new for the first time? So, you know, keep those, keep those opportunities expanded. Don't keep a closed mind on that. This is my grandson, the first time he got to ride a horse. My daughter loves horses, so this was one of the things he just recently did for the first time. But now we can get to the ClinCheck process because we've got new things, we've got basic fundamental principles, now we can get a little bit more into it. But the actual ClinCheck process is not that complicated if we know where we want to go with it. So let's take a look at Cynthia, 54-year-old lady, but this gets a little bit more complicated because what is my goal for those anterior teeth? Am I going to align the gingival margins of eight and nine or am I going to align the incisal edges? Or am I going to compromise? We can see the, the, the extreme angulation of these teeth and over here, and we know that that's pretty easy and predictable to expand and broaden that upper, but this is an aesthetic concern because what am I going to do with eight and nine? Lower anterior teeth, pretty good. But if we're using our analytical skills, we can all see that the upper arch is going to require considerable more treatment to get a proper catenary arch form and symmetry, as is that lower arch. Lower arch doesn't really need much. But if I've got to expand and broaden that upper arch and I have to make it fit with the lower arch, this is going to require some coordinated compromise. So here's my prescription. Expand and broaden to create proper, key term here, catenary arch form and symmetry. That key term, catenary arch form and symmetry. The technicians who see that know this is a dentist who's more interested in ideal fit and function than how fast can we do it. Please level the occlusal plane and round trip. Round trip versus IPR. You've got to have interproximal spaces to get optimal alignment, and rather than over-treat or overextend or whatever, I facilitate, and I found that that round trip movement makes it much more predictable. I like to start initially with a two millimeter overjet and, a one, and a, usually a 1.5 millimeter or 1.0 millimeter overbite, and I like to place the attachments at the end of the second aligner. There's a very important reason that we do that. Initially, when you put the teeth in, those teeth are solid. The osteogenesis process has not started. The osteoblast and the osteoclast haven't started to move the teeth and they're a little loose. If you put attachments on it that first time, when the patient goes home and tries to take those aligners out, it's pretty tough to do. Plus, it's a little bit more of a process. So I like to make my initial you know, presentation and delivery with the patient as smooth and easy as we can. Congratulations, you know, you're in the first step to improve your smile. We're showing them their pictures. We, we go through the little checklist with them. But I like to do it at the end of the second or third aligner, depending on how crowded the teeth are. So let's take a look. On this case, we did a refinement. 
And the reason that I did the refinement is I got the arches to align and fit, but it got a lot more complicated. So here we're going to talk about, boy, they, they raise those things in the back on me. This, this day seems to flip right through. But please use new records and bite registration. And when I say that, if the, if the teeth didn't come out ideal, take new records. Take the attachments off, take new records. Don't just continue through because there's a reason, even though the aligners fit, the aligners have a little bit of give to them. So please note the initial records and what the ClinCheck showed and what we actually achieved. Please continue to expand and broaden to create catenary arch form and symmetry. Level the occlusal plane, round trip, finish with optimal anterior coupling, here OJO bite, and then finish with a slight axial labial procline of the upper and lower anterior teeth. Resid now I have to create some residual spaces. Distal to these teeth are acceptable as needed. Use the gingival margins as reference for the upper lower teeth. And here in the refinement, or phase two, I don't call it refinement, I call it phase two, then we want to put the attachments at the first aligner because we're used to them and the teeth are a little loose. So they just gave me the um, fourth quarter two-minute drill um, sign, so I have to kind of pick up the pace a little bit so we get done on time. So I'm going to show you a few things as we go through with here. This is what the ClinCheck showed, and you can see clinically this is what we're able to achieve. So you're starting to see the pattern of that upper arch form and symmetry, which we know we can easily predictably do. Now on the lower arch, to develop that arch form was easy, but how am I going to achieve anterior coupling? I had to push those lower anterior teeth a little bit more forward, and you can see the view that we had here with here. Okay, nice clinical results. But this is where we have to achieve because you can see that the, the lingual inclination of those teeth had to be proclined, which we're able to bring out. But the, the challenge was is to get this cuspid. See that cuspid down here, class two? See how I brought that cuspid more forward? So now we've got more class one, but I had to create a residual space distal to achieve that. So, oh, let me go back on this. So this is a good view. One of the things that I want you to take a look at, the ClinCheck may show that, see those molars moving forward? See that? That's an AP movement. This was back when they had certain techniques, and I said, well, you know what? I'm going to try that and see if it works. But this showed me what I had, but this is what actually occurred. So this was phase one, and after I took new records, this is what I got. So you can see that those molars did not move forward, as, the re as most of the time I see because of the biomechanics. So I said, okay, well, if they're not going to move forward, we're going to keep them back there, but we're going to reduce that overjet. And then here's our, watch how we reduce that overjet. We brought these lower teeth a little bit more forward, and I kind of expanded and broadened and flattened the upper anterior slightly so that we could finish with a biologic envelope function. But I also had to deal, as I said here, we had to deal with the aesthetics of eight and nine. So if we take a look here, we had to do a little from this view to where we finished here. So we had to do a little restore on that lateral, as we can see here and here, for better golden proportion aesthetics. But if we look at the way those teeth fit and function, you can see this is where we finished, and then this is where we finished restoring those teeth to. Can, can we hold the question? Because i got just a few minutes, but I'd be more than happy to answer those when we get done. But this is the view that the patient sees. Okay, we're going to get real critical on gingival contours and papillas and contact points and all that. But this is what the patient sees. And when you look at this, wow, look at that, what we call buccal quarter. Look at the way those teeth align. But more importantly, look at what that does for this lady's face. You know, you talk about transforming and changing lives and creating a more youthful smile. This is a big part of my practice is females that are 40 to 60 that are coming in and say, you know, I want to get that smile back again. 
you know, I'm not interested in looking 18, but I sure don't want to look like I'm 90 over here. And today, as dentists, you know, we're looking at it from a dental health perspective, but this is a major aesthetic component for people today. You look at the dollars that are spent in Botoxes and facial cosmetic surgeries and all the things that we spend today. And to me, with a little Invisalign and a little direct composite restorative, this is a great investment and very non-invasive as well, too. So as we go through this, if your goals are clear, the choices become much easier. So make sure you know what your goals are. Are your goals to have basic fundamental principles of solid fit and function of the teeth with anterior coupling, midlines aligned, cuspids class one, stable posterior occlusal context, then the choices on your ClinCheck are going to become much easier. This is another view of the sleeping bear dune, so that gives you a little better perspective of the height of that sand and it goes right down to the lake. Now this is Ross, this is an anterior open bite. He had orthodontics as a teen, but then for whatever reason that open bite redeveloped. So we can talk about tongue thrust, oral musculature, and those are all part of your analytical skills, which we wanted to evaluate for Ross. But more importantly, we wanted to see what we could do to improve this. So here, let's make sure that we're using our photos and bite registration to articulate, expand and broaden as we went through before, OJOB, residual spaces distal to those teeth are acceptable as needed instead of doing IPR, attachments at the end of the third aligner because this is going to be a little bit more in complex anterior case will require a little bit more attention to detail. Sometime I put my own notes in my ClinCheck as well as with my technician. So let's work up from the bottom. What I want you to pay attention to the date here was Monday the 28th, this is Tuesday the 29th, this is Wednesday the 30th, this is Wednesday the 30th, and that's Thursday, December 1st. So you can see the, the expedition of this ClinCheck process. This one took a little longer. Many times I can even do them in one day. But one of the things they said is power ridges have been placed for this treatment. If we're looking at root torque versus occlusal procline, I will tell you that I'll take, you know, incisal procline every day over root torque. Root torque is a very unpredictable clinical movement. And I find that power ridges are something that I try to avoid whenever possible. So here's what they, they told me that the power ridges have been placed. Okay, so this is what I tell my technicians. And the technicians, if you've ever had a chance to go to Costa Rica and or get to spend time with them, they are so conscientious and so caring. And I tell you, well, they do everything they can to do to please us dentists who submit the cases. So I would always encourage you, if you ever feel like you're a little frustrated with your ClinCheck communication, step back and be nice to them because they really respond if you take care of it properly. So here was my response. Muchas gracias. This is exactly the prescription I requested, which it was. Align and straighten it. Please make a few improvements. Even if there's a lot, I say please make a few. See the lateral view, so you want to tell them which view are you looking at, and finish with the mandibular incisors more upright and less labial procline. Let's see what straight up with no procline or, or recline looks like. That will reduce the residual spaces distal to those teeth and allow reduced procline of the upper incisors, because this is a slight class three case. Finish with this OJO bite. Have all the attachments placed at the end of the third aligner. I sincerely appreciate your expertise and attention to detail. Pura Vida, Dr. Rob Leach. I sue every one of my ClinChecks this way. Well, what type of response, if you were the technician, what would you expect? Instead of going, hey, I asked for this, you didn't give me this, you didn't give me... Don't do that to him. Be nice to him, okay? Because most of the time, it's our communication. And when I've had the opportunity to visit the treat facility several times and sit side by side with the technician, I'm sitting right there with them. It's hard to do. 
So our communication skills are important, okay? So then a new ClinCheck's been posted, muchas gracias, very nice CC. Please add the beveled attachments on those teeth to help re with retention and anchorage. Pura Vida, I sincerely appreciate, okay? I get it right back, boom. So let's take a look and see what we got. This is what we asked for, that's what we got. Nice arch form and symmetry. Those are not my amalgams, by the way. This, off this patient was referred to me. Um, and you can see, this is easy. Now how do we make them fit, okay? Well, we got this, we got this. You can see we've got some cuspid contact right here for guidance. Um, posterior teeth in my book are probably gonna need some restoration in the future because they might have put a little deeper occlusal anatomy in those amalgams that we might do with ideal restorative treatment. But this is the view that he started with and where we finished with. So to expedite things, excuse me, if you wanna see the ClinChecks, I'll be over in the room next door to go through this a little bit more, but I do have to be done on time here. They have me on the two minute drill still. So let's take a look at the start. I left a residual space right here, distal to that lateral, and you can see how we can easily restore that with, compos with composite. And I have to document that because with today's composite, many times the, the hygienists are looking at those and you can't tell where the composite and where the tooth are. And those materials are extremely, extremely durable today. So, but this is the real view that made a big difference for Ross, okay? To be able, his cuspids were pretty close, but notice the cuspid contact in the incisor anterior coupling here. Okay, significant improvement for Ross. Ross didn't care what his teeth looked like, or, okay, what, what they fit like, but he did care what they looked like because you can see he had that reverse smile curve and it looked like he had real prominent cuspids and short anterior teeth. So to properly align those, Making teeth look good is easy. We could have easily maybe made those teeth longer with whatever, but now he's got teeth that, that, that look better, but more importantly, they're gonna fit and function better. So what a dramatic improvement that made for Ross to do this. And when we're doing these cases, it's paying attention to the little details that makes all the difference. This is my grandson, Jack, and my one of my labs whose name is Jack. My daughter named him Jack six years ago, and then my grandson's Jack, so now I have Jack, Dog, and Jack. But it's, it's the uh, little things. And for those of you who didn't know, the Detroit Tigers have placed six um, players on the All-Star team for coming up this week, which leads the league. They wouldn't let me wear my Tiger jersey up here today because the memo said you had to wear a tie. But um, this is our local high school. My grandson just loves to run on that new turf field. So as we're coming down to wrap up here, let's take a look at Kira. Okay, smile's not bad, right? They look in the mirror, they smile. My teeth aren't bad. Eh, I really don't want to do braces. But when we look at this arch form, patient came to me for a second opinion. They'd seen two other orthodontists and they said, take out four bicuspids, straighten the case. Mom said, I really don't want to take teeth out because I know this one might need to come out, but if, what if you just took that one out and maybe one on this side? Well, what would happen to that catenary arch form and symmetry? And long term, I found that those are maintenance nightmares. So in my 35 years of doing this, I, the most difficult cases I treat are ones that have had four bicuspids removed, things tip back, or they have mismatched arches. So I like to have complementary arches. So when we're looking at this, is it the arch form? Is it the tooth size? Is it too many teeth? What caused that tooth to come in that way? I don't necessarily know, but let me show you how we fixed it. So what I did on this ClinCheck, okay, now notice this. This is a little bit more complex, and I placed an attachment on the lingual and also the buckle of that tooth to help facilitate that tooth movement. Now, is this stretching the biomechanical limitations of any type of orthodontic procedures? It sure is, but how did it work out clinically? Wow, that's a pretty good result. So now when we look at the lower teeth, because we had to get that one tooth and to expand that arch form, we have to also then facilitate the fit of the, of the lower arch, and you can see what we're able to do clinically here as well too. So nice arch form and symmetry, but how do we get them to fit? We went from here 
to here to here. And now let's look at the anterior view. Okay, this is a smile. We've got level occlusal plane. You can see the hypereruption of those lower incisors. And if we weren't to treat this case now with this cure with H12, what would these be like in 10 more years? Okay, would they get better? Were they going to straighten out on their own or is it going to get progressively worse? Patients don't know that things get progressively worse. We as dental health care professionals know that dental disease is progressive. Rarely does it heal on its own. Enamel's not going to grow back, and crooked teeth are not going to straighten out on their own. They're going to get more crowded. So the younger you are when you treat or restore something, the easier it is, the more predictable it's going to be, and the less involved treatment it's going to be. So this required 38 aligners. I was doing a few things a little bit special. I wanted to slow that. Today we could probably do that in maybe 30 to 32 aligners. But let's take a look at the fit and function. And then here, too, she had some discoloration during the development of the enamel on those teeth. Well, today with our gel whitening, you can put a little gel whitening in your, um, in your aligner, your retainer, and they whiten right up. But, you know, look at the significant difference that that made for this little girl. So now she can live with a smile that's going to look better, but more importantly, it's going to be a lot easier to keep clean. And, you know, when what I like, these are my workout partners, my labs, and someday I hope to be the man that my dogs think I am. But sometimes you have patients that think a lot of you too, and that leads into Diane, because she came to see me, one of those difficult cases as well too, is this is going to be a compromise. If we look at the golden proportion aesthetics, she's worn the incisal edges off her centrals. How are we going to restore this? Are we going to add to them? How much are we going to add and where can we do that? So we can see that the tooth wear and the anterior wear, there was a restricted biologic envelope of function. She had TMD issues in the premature wear and the constricted arch form, but we already know what our goal is before we start, right? Develop that proper catenary arch form and symmetry, level the occlusal plane, and let's get the teeth to fit. So we can see we were able to achieve this here. Now, I told her she should have those wisdom teeth out, and she didn't want to do that, but since she has, but notice that arch form and symmetry of what we're able to achieve here to here. I'm speeding up just so we can get done on time. Thank you. And then to this anterior view. Now, I want you to note here, people often ask me about like black triangles. Well, she had a wedding to go to. So we can see the lateral view, anterior view. Let me get to here. This Invisalign finish to here. This was our finish. But this is the view that I want you to look at. Notice the shape of those lowering chair teeth. What dictates the papilla filling the interproximal space? We all know it's the contact point of the teeth to the crest of the bone. If it's five millimeters or less, you're going to have a papilla. If it's greater than five millimeters, you're not going to have a papilla. So here, the contact point is more than five millimeters from the bone, so we have a choice. Do we do IPR and bring those teeth together, which is going to which constrict and make the roots closer together, so the inner radicular space, I didn't want to compromise. So I said, well, we can easily restore that with composite, and I made that a little bigger because she was going to be mother of the bride within a week, when we, of when we, or a couple weeks of when we finished, so I add a little bit more normally, or since then, we've contoured that back up a little bit. But if you notice, it's usually just between the centrals that you need to do that so that you can start with this and finish here with a little bit of a compromise on the incisal edges, the gingival contours, and that's your responsibility as a dentist to decide what you're going to compromise on. So if we're looking at lifetime fit, function, stability, and aesthetics in golden proportion aesthetics, Okay, what a difference that makes to make people look younger. And if you've got a lady 
that you can make them look 15 years younger, I tell you what, you're the man so, or the lady if you're doing that, okay? So you're the dentist that they want to see, and they tell your friends. And so her friends are coming in and said, whatever you did for Diane, I want you to do that for me. I want you to do that for me. So these are really fun. And let's get to our, our last case here. And difficult gives real value to achievement. And that's me back here in the pack coming up these hills. And many of the triathlons, it's not an easy course. But those challenges that are difficult and demanding provide the greatest potential and the greatest pleasure. So as we finish up on our last case right here with Melissa, let's take a look and analyze this. Melissa was 26, got her MBA degree, was told that conventional orthodontics would not work for her, no way would Invisalign work, and it would require orthodontic surgery if we were going to correct this. So to expedite time here, I said, well, I think I can expand and broaden that to get those teeth in the proper position so we know that if we use proper osteogenesis and biomechanics, we can get biologically healthy movements, which we were able to achieve here. But we knew that the lower arch was going to be a little bit more complicated, so I had to create a little bit more of a residual space here versus making those upper teeth a little smaller so we can see beforehand what we achieved. And I wanted to show you the functional occlusion on this. So we've got lateral cusp, we've got cuspid guidance here, and we've got stable posterior occlusal stops. And this is what we did beforehand and then to restore. And that nice arch form and symmetry, lateral views with this. So this is, this is a stretch in the motion here a little bit. So just so that I can speed this up, I can go through this more with you later. But look at the fit and function of this smile for this lady. Now, I want you to know, she had a perio defect before we started. She finished with a perio defect. So you've got to identify that, let the patient know. But we can easily do a keratinized tissue graph in this area following once it's stable. And I usually allow 6 to 12 months before I do that with retainers. But taking her from here to here, wow, what a life-changing difference that made for this girl. But more importantly, look at the difference it made here. So since, you know, over here she was having a tough time getting dates, now she's married, you know, on her way to starting a family. And these are the real life-altering things that we can do to really transform people's lives today. And, you know, I would encourage you, live with a positive agenda. Look at the good things that we can do. Now look at the bad side. Look at the good things that we can achieve. Can I make an improvement for this patient? Is it going to be perfect? Probably not. Is it a dramatic improvement? Absolutely. So do that so that you can give the best of yourself to all of life. And then I challenge you to get back to your offices on Monday and, you know, make your career all that you want it to be. Help your patients. Do the best that you can. And go blue and go Tigers. <laughs>